Uh, and so we're going to be in Deuteronomy 16 this morning, again, looking at these festivals. We're really looking at this idea that the command to celebrate is a call to relationship. This is different than some of the similar uh, calls in the pagan worship of the time, that the vassals would come and pay, you know, sort of regular tribute to the Lord that they were under. This is different. God's command to celebrate, to rejoice, was a command or, or a call of relate to relationship, to an ongoing relationship. And we're going to see that uh, this morning throughout the text and even as we apply it. Uh, one last footnote to this morning. This morning's new and different in a lot of ways. I'm going to give you sort of a little bit of the Old Testament background uh, on these festivals, and then I'm going to actually invite uh, uh, someone from the congregation who can give us some unique perspective and background from her own life to come and have a conversation with me. And then we'll sort of uh, bring things to a conclusion uh, by looking at the New Testament fulfillment of these festivals and then how we can apply that today, the so what of our message this morning, if you will. So let's read, uh, we'll read the first 17 uh, verses of Deuteronomy 16. You'll note that there are three primary festivals or feasts we're looking at. It begins, Set aside the month of Abib and observe the Passover to the Lord your God, because the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night in the month of Abib. Sacrifice to the Lord your God a Passover animal from the herd or flock in the place where the Lord cho chooses to have his name dwell. And we talked about last week that we know from later in the Old Testament that place is Jerusalem. Do not eat leavened bread with it. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread with it, the bread of hardship, because you left the land of Egypt in a hurry so that you might remember for the rest of your life the day that you left the land of Egypt. No yeast is to be found anywhere in your territory for seven days, and none of the meat you sacrifice in the evening of the first day is to remain until morning. So there's a nature of a, a hastiness to this celebration. You are not to sacrifice the Passover animal in any of the towns the Lord your God is giving you. Sacrifice the Passover animal only at the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. Do this in the evening as the sun sets at the same time of day that you departed from Egypt. You are to cook and eat it in the place the Lord your God chooses, and you are to return to your tents in the morning. Eat unleavened bread for six days, and on the seventh day there is to be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. Do not do any work. So there's our first feast or festival. And one note of change here is that God has moved that from taking place in individual homes to taking place collectively in Jerusalem. Next festival. Uh, verse 9, you are to count off seven weeks, counting the weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. You are to celebrate the, fe the festival of weeks to the Lord your God with a freewill offering that you give in proportion to how the Lord your God has blessed you. Rejoice before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. You, your son, your daughter, your male and female slave, the Levite within your city gates, as well as the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Carefully follow these statutes. So there's our second festival. The third, verse uh, 13. You are to celebrate the festival of shelters for seven days when you have gathered in everything from your threshing floor and your wine press. Rejoice during your festival, your son, your daughter, your male and female slave, as well as the Levite, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates. You are to hold a seven-day festival for the Lord your God in the place that he chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce, in all the work of your hands, and you will have abundant joy. 
All your males are to appear three times before the Lord your God in the place that he chooses at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of shelters. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And so we have these three festivals here uh, set out before the Lord. And the last note there about uh, the men being mandated to come three times a year to Jerusalem is actually a little bit of a, a, a stroke of mercy from the Lord in that uh, the, the cost, particularly for poor families who were further away from Jerusalem, in both time and money, in collecting their kith and kin, if you will, together and traveling to Jerusalem three times a year would be significant. And so while that was often the desire, and that happened many times, we see that in the New Testament, even Jesus and his sort of extended family goes to Jerusalem, that the, the, the mandate was really for the men to, at least the men to go representatively on behalf of their families. Now, what was actually also true is that these were the only three pilgrimage feasts in the Old Testament, but there's a total of seven feasts. And by stretching the time in Jerusalem, particularly in the spring and the fall, you could actually knock out, if you will, all seven feasts in, in these three pilgrims, pilgrimages. So I'll cover that really quickly uh, for you this morning. You'll see sort of the, uh, the date on the Hebrew calendar and then where it falls sort of in our time today. So the first is Passover. Passover uh, takes place just, it's coming up soon, right? And in addition to Passover is unleavened bread. These two were often uh, spoken of using one of the terms, either unleavened bread or Passover, in a way that uh, indicated both. Uh, and we'll see that here in the text even this morning. Uh, so sometimes you'll hear references, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and what's insinuated is Passover is included in that as well. More to come on that. And then the next one is, is first fruits, which uh, the wave offering would take place during the Passover festival, during the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that would kick off, as you heard in the text, this counting of seven weeks until the spring harvest, the first cut of the, of the spring grains, late spring, early summer, of like barley and wheat and so on and so forth, that was the Feast of, of Weeks or the Feast of uh, uh, First Fruits. Now, interestingly enough, I have a little bit of sort of, uh, not exact personal experience, but something akin to this. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Ledger, about 15 minutes from here. And every spring, in, in uh, early to mid-June, we would get the first uh, cut of, of hay, the first cutting. Now, sometimes you get a second cut, in August. Sometimes you even can get a third cut, although that's rare. But the first cut in hay is the best. It's the sweetest for the animals, uh, and it's, it's just the healthiest. And I can remember as a child that when we would cut the hay, and the hay baler would be ripping around the field, and the men would be loading the trucks, and this is before round bales and all these other technologies with farming. But as a little guy running around the hay fields in the sweet smell of the hay, and uh, this is exactly what's happening in Israel, but it's more uh, around um, grain uh, like barley and wheat and so on and so forth for food. Uh, matter of fact, I was in South America in 2001, and I was helping a missionary in a rural setting uh, purchase hay, select and purchase hay. And just the smell, I hadn't been home in a while, and the smell of that sweet, fresh-cut hay took me all the way back to... And don't think that that's not part of God's intent in these festivals too, right? Like calling his people back to that faithfulness in relationship. But I digress. Uh, Feast of Weeks, that's sort of in the June, early June time frame. And then the next is the Feast of Trumpets, uh, or today, uh, if, if, for those who, folks who are following the Jewish faith, that would be Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Yom Kippur comes next just a few days later in the early fall. Today we know that as the um, 
uh, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Ingathering. And that is also in September or October. So as you look at those dates, you can see that if, if people extended their, their trip to Jerusalem, they could actually cover all seven Old Testament feasts in those three pilgrimages. Now, these three feasts in the Scripture have symbolic meaning beyond just the literary observance for the people, and we'll see later for even for us today. The Passover, as we read, dealt primarily with their past deliverance. It commemorated, even to the time of day and the day in which they left Egypt, their deliverance out of Egypt by God miraculously as His gathered people. So it looked at their, it, it focused primarily on their past. And it was the more solemn of the three, uh, the three uh, festivals. The next one, the Feast of Weeks or Harvest, actually became known at the end of the Old Testament and certainly into the New as Pentecost because of the approximate 50 days from the wave offering uh, to the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. And uh, the Feast of Weeks was a joyous celebration, as I described even in my own upbringing, that celebrated God's present grace in the provision of that early harvest, that early summer harvest, that there would be bread and there would be food. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths really was a joyous anticipation that sort of focused on uh, not only their wilderness wanderings, which was the immediate context, but this idea that God was going to gather all of his people, that there would be a consummation to his people in the future. So one festival kind of deals with their past, reminds them of their past, the other with their present, and the other with the future. You know, this morning, I don't want you to take my word for it, and, uh, and I'm going to ask, actually, uh, Zach and Jason, if they come up, help me rearrange the furniture a little bit. And I'm going to invite my dear friend, Annette Burdick, to come up. And she's going to share her experience growing up in a conservative Jewish home and then coming to faith in Christ and how these festivals played out, played out into that. And I think you're going to uh, really find that really fascinating. Uh, why don't you go ahead and welcome Annette as she comes. Well, good morning, Nanette. Thank you for being with us. Um, I have known you since I was very young, and why don't you share with the congregation how long you've been at Groton Bible Chapel? Is this on? It's on. Okay. I've been here 26 years, and mm -hmm. I love being here. You this... have served in a, in a whole host of ways, oh, in yes. a variety of ways. Sunday school, Awana, you name it, I've done it probably. But this morning, we're kind of focusing on uh, before you came to GBC, before you were a Christian, uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. I will. Thank you. I scripted this so I don't become too wordy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As a young Jewish girl, I grew up in upstate New York in conservative Judaism, which is a bit more flexible to Jewish laws than, say, that of the Orthodox Judaism. We, were adhered, uh, we had to adhere to um, our teachings of the Torah and the Talmud. We celebrated all these festivals or feast days as commanded by God in the books of Edicus, Ed, Ed, excuse me, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, of course, the Old Testament. And so the festivals themselves that we've talked about this morning, 
Passover weeks and tabernacles. You right. celebrated these. You observed these as a, as a little yes. girl and a young woman. Yes. Talk and I, I have to say, um, the, the Feast of Passover or Pesach, I still observe that with Christ in the Passover. I also celebrated uh, the Feast of Weeks, the Shavuot in Hebrew, which means weeks. And we also celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sukkot in Hebrew, which means huts. And we gathered in something called a Sukkah, and those were huts. And we went to synagogue on those holy days, festival days. When we were preaching uh, through go the Gospel of John, I, I preached one morning about Feast of Tabernacles, and I was describing how the Jews would make their huts to commemorate that. And I remember you saying, like, I got that right. Like, she would talk about that's exactly what we did. When we were, by the way, she's always the one who either firms or corrects gently uh, whether we get Hebrew customs correct. And so she's been very gracious through the years. Uh, but your experiences, give us one memory of the Feast of Weeks, that spring harvest. You've got some things here in your notes about the kinds of things you would bring to those celebrations. Give us uh, one, uh, one note on those. In the Feast of Weeks, um, we celebrated in the synagogue. Our families were uh, to attend the synagogue and hear the reading of the Ten Commandments, hmm. especially um, noted that um, that pertains to a lot of things in my upbringing. So, um, and during that time, the first fruits we um, were to offer to the Lord grains and barley, uh, wheat, first fruits like dates and figs and pomegranates and such. But the real powerful connection, as you, someone who grew up observing these feasts in modern day times, uh, is really that there's a connection to your faith in Jesus, but really ours as well, in these festivals too. Now you, if I remember correctly, you came to faith in Jesus in 1978. Correct. You were 24 years old. Correct. And observing these feasts, the dynamic of that change, particularly with Passover. Yes. Right? Share that with us. This I morning. will. Thank you. Um, I said this would be better for me to be scripted. <laughs> I will focus on Passover. Um, this is a time I call my aha moment, which happened not too long after coming to know the Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, which is the Lord my Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, I was taught that the three matzah, or matzot, which are placed next to the Seder plate, which, uh, do we have that? Yes. And that Seder plate is on your screen. Represented our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One of the traditions of the Passover Seder is a special bag called the matzotash, that has three compartments holding th three pieces of matzah, or the unleavened bread. The tradition is to take the middle piece out and break it in half. Half is placed back in the, the matzotash, but the other half is wrapped in linen, in a linen napkin. Please remember that. This piece is called the afikomen. That's a Greek word, by the way. And it's hidden by an adult for the duration of the Seder. Afterward, the children are to search for it and to bring it back to their parents to be redeemed as a prize. Traditionally, the Seder cannot end until the afikomen is found and redeemed. 
but Judaism has no real explanation or origin for the meaning of the afikomen or the matzah that is broken. However, as a Messianic Jew, I came to the revelation that the afikomen is a symbol of our Messiah. The very appearance of the matzah, the way it's prepared, is indicative of Jesus. Matzah has stripes burned into it from the oven rack and must be pierced to allow air to escape, to prevent it from rising. Notice I said something about stripes and pierced and the matzah in a linen cloth and the matzah, that broken matzah is redeemed. In the same way, Jesus was striped by the lashes he received and his hands and his feet were pierced by nails. I came to the understanding that the three compartments of the Mazatash represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The middle matzah is broken just as Jesus was broken for us. After his death on the cross, Jesus' body was wrapped in linen and hidden away for three days until his resurrection. What a revelation for me. It brought tears to my eyes as it still does. When I discovered the true meaning of the middle matzah, Jesus was wrapped in linen. He was broken for us and redeemed us when he, he rose on the third day. And I am so grateful for that, to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, the one who was redeemed for me. Annette, thank you for bringing some depth of understanding to our study of Deuteronomy this morning. Truly profound. And uh, we're going to draw some more from that connection, but thank you for helping us to understand uh, not only from your own upbringing, but from coming to faith in Jesus. Can we say thank you to Jeanette? You know, when I was preparing this message, by the way, uh, Nanette was an educator by trade, and uh, she sent me that script. I probably sent her the questions a month ago or so, and uh, she sent me back her scripted answers three weeks ago, um, and just really appreciated her thoroughness. But as I was reading that this week again, uh, her words, I was just moved to tears, just really contemplating uh, what we're talking about here. And so, you know, as we look at these Passover, uh, these festival festivals that were to be observed by God's Old Testament peoples, 
you know, we kind of jumped to, or or Nanette helped us to understand some application for us, but they're fulfilled in the New Testament so that we understand our relationship with Jesus more, what he came to do, and so that we then make application. And so I want to kind of go through that a little bit here this morning and and listen to, uh, with the the words of Nanette's sort of self-revelation of of what God revealed to her in, in the observation of Passover. Now listen to Jesus' words, his own words in Matthew's Gospel as we look at this idea that Passover points us to our salvation or to our faith. Matthew 26, it says this, On the first day of the week of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him that the teacher says, My time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Later, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he, said it to, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's Jesus with his disciples observing the Passover, but also sort of reconstituting it speaking of his own body and blood, as as Nanette was sharing with us this morning, in the symbolism there, and reconstituting as what we know today as the Lord's Supper, that we celebrate the beginning of every month, we'll celebrate next week. But even John the Apostle, as he is, uh, John the Baptist, as he is talking about Jesus, as he sees Jesus, we looked at this in our study of John's Gospel, if you were with us, he declares about Christ when he sees him publicly, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the symbolism of Passover does not stop there. It's even the unleavened bread that's called the bread of hardship in that Deuteronomy text that has parallel in symbolism and fulfillment in the new. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old leaven or the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This idea of putting away the old leaven and walking in a new way is the biblical idea of repentance, repentance and faith. And so our first question for application as Passover points us to our salvation is maybe you are not uh, one who knows what salvation is. You've never heard that Jesus was the Messiah, the Passover lamb sacrificed for you. So first question is this. Have I received Christ as the lamb of of God who takes away my sin? Not just the sins of the world, but my sin. And folks, if you have not made that decision yet in your life, it is the most important decision you will face in your life, bigger than whom you will marry, what home you will buy, what career you will pursue, how you will parent your children, is in relationship to what or who is Jesus. Is he the Lamb of God who has taken away my sins? Now, theologically, he is. But like casting away that old leaven, have you stepped into that relationship through repentance and faith. Passover points us to our salvation, our faith. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, known later as Pentecost, points us to the church, both the the church worldwide and the local church. That is our family. 
We see this fulfilled in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And I'm going to just skim uh, Acts chapter 2 a little bit, give you a couple of excerpts. I'd encourage you this week, if you're looking for something to read, take your time through Acts chapter 2. It's a powerful chapter. In Acts chapter 2, the events take place on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit establishes the church. The people of God are gathered together in Jerusalem, many nations of people, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And if you were with us a, a few weeks back, we had a group called the Acts Three-Man Show through three Hollywood actors who spent two and a half hours portraying the entire book of Acts. And one of the things they did so well with only three people was portraying this moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And even though there's just Galileans there, the Parthians and, and Medes and Persians and Scythians, all these other people groups hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus in their own voice. There's this holy, miraculous moment as the church is birthed, and then Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon. He declares Jesus the Messiah, particularly to the Jews, but to everybody who's gathered there in the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Again, you can read all this in Acts chapter 2. And he makes this appeal that God's people, that the people there would, would respond. And so they ask this question. This is verse 37. When they heard this, all those who were gathered there in Jerusalem, when they hear Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that day, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people in one day were added to the kingdom of God as the church of Jesus Christ was born. It goes on at the end of the chapter. It says that they, the church, this new gathering of people, devoted themselves to meeting together. In the temple, they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joy and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Pentecost points us to the church, to our family. And so I want to ask by way of application this morning, am I committed to the gathered people of God? We've been talking this year, our, wor our word for the year is actually two words, covenant community. And we've been talking about the fact that we're going to wrestle in the spring with what does it mean to be the gathered people of God in terms of the local church? What are we to be committed to as we talk about covenant community? There's something unique about the local expression of Christ's body gathered in individual congregations today all over the world in this moment. And in this particular one, Groton Bible Chapel. So we'll be talking about that more. But am I committed to the gathered people of God? The third feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known uh, as the Feast of Ingathering, points us to the return of Christ. That is to our future. Passover points us to our faith. Pentecost points us to our family, the church in gathering points us to our future, the return of Christ. And there's two images, there's many images in the New Testament, two of them briefly this morning. The first is in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the return of Christ, triumphant with the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel calling his people together, both dead and alive. Those who've, who've already died in Christ and those who are still alive will be gathered together under his reign and rule. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The second image is a wedding supper. It's a feast where the Lamb of God is the center and his bride is gathered to him. Listen to the words of Revelation 19. It says, Hallelujah, because the Lord God Almighty reigns. Listen to this mandated to celebrate language. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory 
because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, that is the church of Jesus Christ, has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. The fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, that is the angel said to the Apostle John, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Our last question is, am I living in light of his return? Both of these images are images of celebration. Jesus doesn't come again as a humble baby coming to die. He comes again as a victorious Savior coming to gather his people and to reign and rule over all things. And that begins, it, it's consummated, it, it begins with a, re- a wedding feast. The church of Christ gathered to him, his, the, our bridegroom. Am I living in light of that? Or do I become, speaking for me, so consumed with other things? You know, even as I sit here, I think about, okay, what's for lunch? You know, which, you know, is St. Peter's going to win tonight at 5 o'clock in, the, in March Madness? You know, this is so much more important than that. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Are you committed to the gathered people of him, even as we've celebrated this morning? And am I, am I living day after day in light of the fact that he's going to come again? And not only is he going to reign and rule, but he's going to put everything to right, all the garbage. It's going to be restored and put to right. Great picture of that. Again, if you're looking for something else to read this week, Romans 8. Tremendous picture of that in Romans 8. I want to leave you with a final image. And this sort of pulls all this together. As we think about our big point, God's command to celebrate is a call to relationship. Revelation chapter 5 paints a picture. It says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seals. You have to read the context to know what that means. But, but John the Apostle is directed to look at the line of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And he turns his head, as it were, to looks, and it says, Then I saw one looking as a lamb who was slain, standing in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures and the elders. And it goes on. We're mandated to celebrate because the line of the tribe of Judah prophesied all the way back in Genesis is the lamb who was slain and he died for you. These, these feasts, you didn't come here to learn about ancient feasts in this small nation of people amongst all the nations of the world in all history and to just learn some facts about some parties they had back you know, in the 15th, 15th century B.C., At least I don't think that's probably why you came. No, we came to know and to celebrate a God who is faithful to us in our own personal junk and in the darkness of the times in which we live. Amen? But as we look at these festivals, I'll end with this thought, that the Passover points us to Jesus and points us to our faith. That Pentecost directs us to think about and be committed to our family, our church. And ultimately, that in-gathering points us to the fact that there is a future with Christ who will redeem his bride. Amen? Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, it's been a different kind of day. It's been a, a day of much joy and celebration, of gaining perspective from someone else, Lord. And Lord, we recognize that our life, stepping into this building and celebrating is actually a, a setting aside all the stuff of life to kind of get reoriented, get recentered on our salvation, on your church, and on the fact that we're to live missionally as we go from here. Would you just burn that into our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.